This is Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey. My name's Nick. And today is June 9th, and we are in a very unique period of time. There's lots going on. Today, I actually saw someone reference it as our national trauma or mm. national traumatic events. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, think- I mean, well, this trauma has been going on since the start yes. of the country. And it's like almost like, you know, it's sort of like an awakening for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Like mm-hmm. this has been the truth. This has been the reality for, you know, uh, black people and their experience in the world. And, you know, I myself, you know, that's not at the forefront of your mind when you're walking around in the world, even though that exists. Right. And sometimes it takes like tragic events like this to be like the catalyst that actually, you know, sets the fire that makes the world go ablaze. Very well said, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I'll just say on that is that, yeah, hopefully this momentum continues and it, mm-hmm. and it spurs into actual like social action. And yeah, I've been reflecting on, on that, mm-hmm. you know, these last couple of weeks on like what type of, what type of social action that I, you know, mm-hmm. I want to be engaged in like sort sort of, I mean, doing this podcast has been a thing that I've been reflecting on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just coming into it being more of like a personal thing, but then also like now, you know, we hear from people and like, there's this community that's being built up around it. And back to like, what I'm thinking about it, just kind of like, how do you want to walk through the world? And like, what is it the, what, how do you want to affect things? Yeah. So I think, I mean, for me personally, I've been feeling a lot of feelings of discomfort, which is good. And I've been sitting in those feelings and reflecting on my experience as a white person and how I can make myself better and how I can help the other white people. I know people in my family, my friends, all of that also be better in their action and their language and everything. And also I've signed up for a class and I, you know, I, and, and again, it's, it, all, all of this is walking a line. Like I'm not going to, I, am also aware of virtue signaling and, and speaking about all the, the things that I'm doing to work on myself. But that said, I'm, I'm taking action every single day. There's something else I'm doing and that feels good to be doing. It feels like the feelings of discomfort and the actions are, you know, it, it feels purposeful, all of it. So that's, that's how I've been kind of sitting with all of this through the past couple of weeks. I think, you know, there's lots of different ways that people like are expressing themselves during mm-hmm. this time. But yeah, just understanding that this has been work that's been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, there's so many like awesome people and awesome organizations that yeah. are out there that, you know, I just wasn't really exposed to before this. So it's it's tragic and it's awful, everything that's happening, but it's also can be a time of like hope. Mm-hmm. Going back to sobriety and like what we talk about on this podcast mm-hmm. and what we talk about a lot, I, I've just been like in some of the meetings that I go to, there's a lot of people like relapsing mm. and um, yeah, it's definitely, I it's noticeable to me, even in like a way when like COVID was happening, that was noticeable too. Like this has just been like a really hard time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like been like 2020 has been like a super hard year to stay sober. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that's, you know, I think we've talked about whether, you know, putting out an episode or not and all of that. And I think it's important to, if these conversations support someone recover, someone's recovery, I think it's important to have those conversations about how to take care of yourself, what's working, because you can't be an ally if you're in active addiction. You can't be a good ally. You can't, if you're, if you're spiraling, it's hard to do those actions, sit in those, that discomfort, you know, make the next right step, have those hard Mm -hmm. conversations, you know? So I think recovery is a really important tool in this conversation as well. Yeah. And even like getting involved in the activism, the protest, like doing it from a lens of being sober is so different. Mm. Um, How is that for you? What do you mean? Yeah. So that, that like sentiment, it was actually something I saw on Instagram from this account served up sober. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They're wonderful. Yeah. And like, that's what they had posted. They wrote activism requires sober thought. Right. Um, I think I reposted that for us. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You did. So yeah, I was thinking about that and then reading about some of like the black activists Mm -hmm. who were actually like in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, There was this article that I read about Frederick Douglass Mm -hmm. and Malcolm X and how recovery from drugs and alcohol was a big part of like how they approached their activism. So I think, you know, I always, I always view like being sober as like a superpower Yeah, in a lot of the instances in my life. And so with these things that are going on, I think it's like such a gift to be able to like view these things from a sober lens. Absolutely. Um, Just for me personally. Yeah. And not numb yourself out to all that's happening because that would be pretty easy to do. Oh, totally. And that's probably like what, I mean, whatever they are, like the established powers, that's probably what they want you to do. Yeah. Like they don't want you to be out and protest and they'd rather you be at home. That's true. Um, Watching TV, numbing out with yeah. wine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just to, you know, final thoughts on this whole thing. I mean, we could talk about this a lot and I think we should talk about it. Continue and I think to it'll talk be cool. about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's there are things from like the recovery sober community too that like definitely – intersect with some of the issues that are going on right now. So I'm excited to to talk about those things and to just have a dialogue really about it. Right. Um, Cause a lot of like what's going on right now is just having people being able to have a dialogue mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. in a way like this has come up in the past and people have shut it down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, this is not the right time to talk about it. It's not the appropriate way to talk about it or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And I think we're, neither of us are black. And so we don't have that experience and so we're not going to speak to it. So we need to hear from those voices directly. Yeah. And great point. Yeah. But we can speak to your four year soberversary. That's right. Four years. Is that what you call it? A soberversary or do you call it anniversary? I, or I, I'll go by both. Your quit date. Sure. Any and all. So, so officially it's, it was on June 6th. Yes, June sixth. June sixth is my soberversary. Four years. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, how does it feel? It feels good. I feel like very settled into it. I think, I think it's 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 funny. I think 
it, you know, like I know people who have 30 years or more or whatever, and they must be like, you're such a fucking baby (laughs) child. Yes. And I think that's true. I think in these years, maybe up to five, I can't tell you because I'm not there yet, but I think there's a new kind of understanding of things every year, maybe every six months when you're young in sobriety. You know, I think probably when you get older, things start to like blend a little bit more, you know, I imagine. Yeah. But it's been very distinctive, the, the experience of getting, you know, yeah, each so, year. Oh, no. Yeah. So I kind of want to like unpack that a little bit and maybe okay. if you're up for it, we could go back in time <sighs> and kind of talk about like the first June 6th, I guess it was June 6th, 2016. 16, that was also quite a year to get sober. Yeah. Not quite this oh, year, yeah. not 2020. Yeah. I'm not going to compare. But, but good thing you got, you tried, you started getting sober before the election happened. I did. I had a good six months or something before yeah. shit got really you're re- fucking You're ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Wait, so where were you? Like, where were you on June 6th? Or maybe like even backing up a little bit, like. Right. What was the precursor to June 6th? Right. So I had tried some sobriety before. I had gotten together about eight months. And then I, but I was living upstate New York at the time. And, and, and uh, I got about eight months together. And then, but I was clinging on to that eight months. It was. Really? Oh yeah. It was with Anna views. And I just didn't, I didn't have a sober community. I didn't really, no one else, no, no, anyone else sober. I wasn't talking about it. I hadn't told my parents, you know, it was, it was really just me really holding on for dear life. And I moved back to New York city and relapsed almost immediately because I just wasn't connected to it. I didn't know. I felt like a loser. I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't think people would like me. I didn't know how to socialize the only way. And, you know, I, I moved back to Williamsburg, which is like party central. And it was also where I used to live in my early twenties when I was, you know, having a great time. So, yeah. And then I, 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 I drank again. I think like, yeah, like that's kind of, that, I mean, I relate with that feeling of like going back to like a city where you used to party all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you've gone through this massive change in yourself, but maybe some of the people that you're hanging out with, they haven't gone through that change or they're, you know, at least that was what it was like for me. And then I just fell back in the trap of like drinking again. I think it was more, I think all, and I know this for a fact because they're still all my friends. I just didn't know how to talk about it. I mean, there's some very good friends who knew what was going on, but you know, my peripheral friends, I guess, didn't. And I just didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't really want to be sober, honestly. Like I, it just, it felt like something I had to do, like take my medicine and, and something that was inevitable mm-hmm. for me. Like I would have to get sober at some point. I actually always thought that I would get sober when I w- like got pregnant. That was always my plan from when I like knew I had a problem with alcohol. I was like, well, there'll be some day soon. I'll get pregnant and then I'll have to stop. And I was like planning on that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Jokes on me. So it's, you know, it, it felt inevitable that I had would have to get sober, but I didn't want to. And I I felt 
again, like a loser. No one would want to hang with me. Everyone would think I was boring. Everyone, you know, all that stuff. So all that stuff. We're but like, why, like talk to me about that. Like, why did you know you had to become sober? I, you know, I've said this many times, but I knew, you know, my, my family has a lot of addiction in it. And I was told from a young age that that's probably something I would experience. And then, you know, the first time I taste or, you know, not maybe the first time I tasted it, but like when I started drinking more in college and stuff, I could just tell it meant way more to me than it did to my friends. I was like, it, it just completed something for me. It was a puzzle piece. It just made so much sense. It felt so fucking good. It like answered everything for me. And it was a magic pill, you know, and I could just tell that my friends didn't have that same relationship with it. They didn't need it as much as I did. I think, you know, I, I started when I started to routinely use it, it just I it became my body started wanting it, too. You know, so. Yeah. So now you're in New York City, you're in Williamsburg and you're well, you've said your words, you felt like a loser. Yeah, I felt like a loser. You didn't fit in. I was overweight Uh, for me, how I I felt overweight at the time. I was in Williamsburg, which is literally like a cesspool of models. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't know how to not drink. And so I, yeah. But I guess that's like a, like what would happen if you like, say you went back to like Williamsburg and there were like places that supported your sobriety. I I probably would have checked them out. I probably would have checked them out. I think it's important to have people that you can look to who are also sober, whose life you kind of want to emulate. And I think that's the yeah. success of AA, you know, and that whole concept of find somebody who has something you want, you know, like, yeah, I want that. How did you get that through sobriety? You know, and so I, I needed to see that. I need, and the only role models I had were people my parents' age, and I just, it wasn't like something I could hold on to. It was not inspiring to me. It was not similar enough to what I was going through. So it was also presented to me in a way that wasn't attractive to me, which is like, everything's a secret. It's shameful. We don't talk about it. It's, it's, it's this disease that I have that everything I do is part of this disease. And it just wasn't something I wanted to identify with. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. And it gives me a lot of insight into you and like how you act now or like the things that you care about now. Right. The way you talk about sobriety. Right. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So when I tried again on June 6th, 2016, I, I wasn't at a bottom I was just ready again. I had started collecting all of the things that I needed to do. I, you know, I think I told you about this, but I had, so I was at McCarran pool and like a month earlier and my friend Shayla was, we were out together to see my friend perform and Shayla and I like to go out and like flirt with boys and Shayla pushed me into this guy that was at the bar at McCarran Pool, which is like a notorious hookup bar, which I didn't, you know, I've, I'm like... You mean Union Pool. Union Pool. What was I saying? 
McCarran pool. Oh, okay. Union pool. I mean, there is a pool, I think, in McCarran Park. There is. There is a, uh, there's an actual like a pool. It's like a <laughs> hookup spot. <laughs> I mean, maybe it could be, but it's like a public pool. Yeah, 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 no. <laughs> that would be a different story. I mean, I mean, it's still like the setting is different. I mean, yeah, that could have happened there. That could have happened. Anyway. So I was at Union Pool and Shayla pushed me into this guy and we hit it off. And he went home with me that night. And I decided. Wait, is that something that that women do? What? Just like push each other into guys that they think. I don't. Are, it's not something she'd ever done before. She just did it like to be funny and cute. Like, oh, no, right. I don't think that that's like. I've No, I don't know. Is that I didn't we didn't just read it. for my personal education. We didn't read it in Cosmo magazine. <laughs> a way to pick up guys. That's not a bad idea though, honestly. Um it worked. It worked for me. I mean, yeah, it worked. Yeah. So we so I we went and I decided that I was in fucking love with this guy. I like fell hard. And I think looking back like love at first sight, like off of meeting him this one time well of course i was drunk right uh so i don't know is that does that null? like does that negate no but you guys started like saw no i don't think that negates it we just like had very good chemistry i think it was very good chemistry yes we started seeing each other after that and i felt very comfortable around him. I felt like I could be myself around him. And I think that that is always something that's very hard for me. I think it's part of the reason why I drank. It's definitely the reason why I I used to drink is not feeling like I could be myself. Like that was a kind of a dangerous thing. So Mm. I just felt totally comfortable with him. And I just fell like really, and, and he had made plans to move to Austin, Texas. Uh, it, when I met him, he was planning, like he was already, he was moving to Austin, Texas in yeah, like that sucks. six weeks. <laughs> right. That's also to me, that's like, of course it is. This is my life is a fucking rom-com. That's how I expect things to yeah. go. <laughs> if it's hard, it's meant to be, it's a better story. When the New York times does our wedding column, they'll have all of that in there. It'll be great story. Yeah. Great material. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so I fell for him and then. So this, like, during this, like, just a real, you're, so you're back in New York and you're, like, kind of made the decision that you want to stop drinking. Yeah. But you're still going out. But this is in the back of the mind. Right. And then you meet this guy who's kind of like, you're like, oh, man, I drink because I'm uncomfortable, but I don't feel uncomfortable with this person. Right. Like, were you like, oh, like, what was that like with your drinking? So we drank a lot together. And, like, he could definitely keep up with me. But I would talk about it, like kind of slide it in there, like, oh, what do you think about people with addiction? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's not sliding it in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I did it. It's probably more <laughs> subtle than that. I don't know. Don't remember that part. But anyway, we talked about, and he was like, I would think it'd, be, you know, I basically I brought up like, what it, what would you think if I that's over. Didn't like, drink. Yeah. If I didn't drink. And he was like, I would think that'd be totally cool. And I was like, Oh, oh that's God. awesome. Yeah. And I was like, Oh wow. You know, this is great. I remember one night it was probably like the fifth time we saw each other. We talked about like children, like everything, like planning everything. And of course we were drunk. And 
I was planning on moving to Austin, Texas, all this stuff. The other thing I did was he, he had, you know, his lease was up on June 1st, I think. And so I like, was like, well, you'll just stay with me and my roommates. And I didn't, of course, ask my roommates permission at all. I just had (laughs) him and his dog move in. (laughs) And his dog would like pee in the apartment and like, I, June, my dog and that dog did not get along. It was like (laughs) a lot. This is like a whirlwind romance. It was, it was, it was. And then he moves. Were your roommates cool with it? No, I'm sure not, but they were being nice about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they knew, I guess he was moving. Yeah. They were like, this is, this is finite. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so he moved to Austin, Texas and I did things like subscribe to Texas Monthly Magazine and like just fully went, you know, under just obsessing. Mm. And uh, I don't know how long he was there, but not very long. And he broke up with me. (laughs) And yeah, it was I don't know. Like, I don't I play it pretty safe usually. I mean, in past relationships I've had where I've kind of like allowed myself to have a little bit more of the power. Mm-hmm. In the, the relationship dynamic. I mean, it doesn't always, I don't always keep it, but, you know, in general. And I had lost it completely. So I just was, you know, I I was miserable. Uh, and I was getting sober. And thank fucking God for abuse, seriously. And my therapist. Uh, I mean, that's what was kind of keeping me going. Whoa, wait. So what's like the timeline? He was like June 1st. So wait, so, okay. So June 5th. So he stick around for another week because of our like whirlwind romance stayed at my apartment with my two roommates and we had a house party on June 5th at my, at our place. And that was the last time I like drank as an alcoholic or whatever you want to call it. Like the way that I drank. You know, I, it wasn't like over the top. I didn't do anything crazy. I just drank a lot. Like I always did. And I drank like a million fucking things. And I didn't, the next day I wasn't like, this is it day one. You know, I think I was very, let's try it today. Okay. Let's try another day. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like the third or fourth day or something you're like kind of allowed to go on an abuse. So I did that whenever, you know, I could physically do it when the alcohol leaves your body yeah, and then eventually, you know, very soon after that, my therapist recommended, or it was about six months into it, maybe four months, five months, recommended I check out this Buddhist recovery group. And that, and that was helpful as well. Because she was like, so you, you need to find community. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, we would have never met each other if, That's if right. that never happened. That's right. So, yeah, I'm glad that you checked out that mm-hmm. Buddhist community. So, so this, I mean, I guess going back to the story of this guy, which is like, I don't know, to me, it's like a romantic story. It's obviously heartbreaking Uh. when it happens, but I'm very impressed that, um, you know, after that was, was going on and it was like that breakup happening, like you were still continuing with this decision. Yeah. And it may have been a stubbornness, which is good for me and bad for me. I think both. (laughs) I think it was a way of being like, well, I'm going this direction. You know, I I don't know. I think there was a little bit of stubbornness there, which is good. 
And then what about like with your friends and like going to union pool and stuff like that? I just had to tell everybody. And at that point I was telling everybody that I wasn't, I was stopping for a while. I wasn't saying that this is it. Cause that just felt like an anvil sitting over my head, you know, that could come crashing down at any minute. It was just so much pressure. So I just told people that like, I'm not doing this right now. I'm not drinking right now. And I think the other point of me stopping drinking at the time I did with that guy was I felt like he was like, I could stop drinking now because I found the man I'm going to marry and all of that. And so I never, I didn't have to date anymore. I didn't have to like, and, and also like I got a guy who would love me. And so they would love the, they would already love me. And then they would have to love the sober me. Right. Cause I didn't think that anyone would want to love a sober me. <laughs> that sounds so pathetic, mm. but you know, I think it's, it's, it's hard. You know, there's so much shame there. There's so much identity there. There's so much wrapped into that. Yeah. I don't think it's pathetic at all. I think that's a very like, under, I mean, I feel the same way or I felt the same way. Yeah. You know, Yeah. you almost feel that like that drunk person that that's like the real fun person. Yeah. And the person who's not doing that is not <laughs> as cool or whatever it is, right. but that's a total fabrication. Right. Yeah. But it's so hard to see the, at that at the beginning, you know, it, I guess it just takes time for you to like, almost like fall in love with yourself, you know? I know. And I think I'm definitely still working on that, but I'm, I'm farther along for sure. Yeah. 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 You started seeing a therapist during this time, right? The one that yeah, yeah. who sounds I, like an awesome therapist who's telling you about the Buddhist recovery and interviews were you you were seeing her before this or you just yeah, started was, seeing her like after this whole thing I was seeing her when I was upstate as well so and then when I moved to the city like I stopped seeing her because I moved to the city and then when I was kind of preparing to start trying to get sober again I reached out to her and she agreed to work with me remotely so uh, okay and does she like specialize specifically in like Addiction. These sorts of issues. Yeah. Yeah. She's an addiction counselor specifically. Yeah. And what was really great about her and what I know now in retrospect, because she was my first addiction counselor ever and only, is that she didn't make me quit right away. Uh, both times she allowed me to just, and, and be myself and say like, AA is not right for me and this is how I'm feeling. And she would trust that, you know, she, she let me kind of come to it, you know? and uh trusted i felt trusted i guess in yeah. retrospect at the time i have no idea but in retrospect i think that's really cool especially that you sought that out as a resource because you know for me and i think a lot of people when you start drinking even i was seeing a therapist and they were telling me to go to aa yeah like aa is the default option for anybody and maybe it's because she's specifically an addiction counselor and knows more of like the breadth of what's going on mm -hmm. in re in recovery. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think like a lot of people in the medical industry, their first kind of reaction is go to AA. Mm -hmm. And my thing was like, I don't know if I actually like this. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes sort of this thing where I don't even know if I want this. This sucks. This is not what I want. Like maybe it's the thing that I want. So um, what do you mean? Like, like the thing that you want in terms of the program or in terms of? Well, in terms of being like a sober person, if that's the way that I have to get sober, oh. I don't know if I actually want to be a sober person. Maybe I'll just go back out, even right. though this thing is ruining my life too. 
at least I'm having fun and I'm not like, you know, giving my life away to this thing. You know? Yeah, I think what I liked, what felt more natural to me is wearing my recovery like a loose garment. I don't know where I picked that up from, but it oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, felt more like a healthy decision. You know, I felt more like I was working for myself and having compassion for myself as opposed to, you know, like that I was a bad person or a bad girl and acting be- badly and my behavior was bad and I needed to be punished or something. I don't know. No, I mean, I I relate with that too. Like, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just think it's cool. And like for people listening that there's like alternatives out there, if you want to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and it's cool that you did that four years ago and started trying on these different things. Yeah. So what happened when you actually did, so you're working with, uh, an addiction counselor, and you sort of felt at that time, or was it her telling you that you needed a community? Like, what? Why did you decide to start going to like, <laughs> refuge? Uh, so she recommended it because she was like, "You just need to be able to talk to people who've who've experienced things that you've felt." And I was like, "Okay." And in the back of my mind, I was like, "Maybe they'll be cute boys." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, because are you still like hanging out? You're hanging out with your old friends and still going to bars and stuff I mean, like that. I, no, I'm not saying like Shayla is still my very good friends. Like it's not. You know, like these people have transitioned in my life with me and are wonderful, supportive friends. It's not. No, but I'm just asking because like for me, like I kind of had to stop hanging out with my friends. Right. Just because like I couldn't be in those environments. And then it was like kind of like, yeah, like having a sober community sounds like a good thing because like you're saying, I can at least relate with them on what I'm going through. I think I stopped going out for a while, but I would still see my friends. We just wouldn't go to bars. Cool. Yeah. But you, like, weren't so much into that. You were more into just meeting a cute boy. Yes, totally. I was like, well, sober boys. Let's see what that's like. And, of course, you know, if you believe in an HP or whatever, like, I go into that. What's an HP? Higher power, baby. Oh, I know what an HP is. (laughs) (sighs) I go to that meeting, and I don't think anybody there was interested romantically in women. So that was, like amazing <laughs> but I still kept going you know uh wait what I think you went you started going to AA meetings no to pick up guys? no what are you talking about no I went to refuge recovery now recovery dharma and the first meeting I went to I don't think there was anyone that was like sexually attracted to women in that meeting wait what do you so what does that have to do with HP that it's a joke like yeah come for the boys but none of the boys are going to be interested in you you know what I mean? Oh, like, I'm just confused because we don't have that concept of HP. No, I'm just making a joke. Like, God, you make a plan and God laughs. Like, it's it's just funny that that was my intent and the it was, like, completely destroyed. Oh, got it. Sorry, I didn't get you yeah. joke. <laughs> spell that out. Well, I guess, like, I'm not, I'm not even sure if there, I mean, I have, like, some concept of, like, God, but, like, I don't know if I actually, like. Oh, yeah. But like, when you say, like, HP, it triggers in my mind, like, like, a male, like, patriarchal, like, God, oh, you know what I mean? I know. Mean? Well, so no, I. That I, was my only thing when you, like, said that. I was like, oh. No, I think there's, like. And we're talking about recovery, so. Yeah, I think there's, like, a, um, a stereotype about God that, like, they'll, they'll give you the exact opposite of what you want, but you end up wanting it. You know what I mean? You think I you don't want it, but you do. And it's good for you. 
you know? So that, that was kind of what I was implying. Got it. Yes. I'm glad we really took 10 minutes to figure that out. Anyways, what happened? Were you like, screw this? Like, there's no like hot guys here or they're not. Well, there are plenty of hot guys. (laughs) In refuge recovery? There's plenty of good looking guys in our program. I mean, besides me? Besides, yeah. (laughs) Yes, besides you, Nick. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on because we are only in the year one and we're 41 minutes in. Really? I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff at the beginning. Yeah. But no, I want to ask, like, what was it like when you started first go, started going to these meetings? Okay. I know what it was like for me. And it was like, I don't know. I can remember that time in my life really clearly. So I, so in our meetings, we're just, let's just call it recovery dharma for, for simplicity's sake. So recovery dharma sure. meetings, yeah. we, we have 20 minutes of guided meditation. So when I first got there, I would just fucking sit there and be like, peeking my eyes open, like, are people really meditating? What's going on? You know, I, I, I you didn't meditate. I didn't know. I never had a meditation practice before. I was really <laughs> kind of just taking it all in. Like, what is this shit? And yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's really interesting. Yeah. I guess a lot of people must feel like that when they're first kind of, do you oh, think totally. it's confusing? It's totally confusing. Yeah. But I kind of just kept going and it became less confusing. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think, yeah. So I, I didn't know about meditation at all. I just, I just kind of sat there and I would listen to people's shares and I didn't know what half of what people were talking about at all about the Dharma and like anything that was coming out of people's mouths. I, I thought that was, you know, very, it, it felt like another language. Yeah, this is, I mean, these are great critiques, I think, because sometimes, yeah, I mean, it I gets hear really that a lot insidery. too. It gets really insidery. Yeah, it gets super insidery. I could see how that could turn someone off. I and, mean, it would turn me off if I came in like that. Yeah, and I think, I also don't think we talk so much about war story. We don't go into like, well, I remember this time and the fucked up thing I did the other day and da, 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 We like, don't talk about our using and drugs and drinking we, that much. I, no, I mean, I people mean, are totally open but, to do that. They're welcome to do that. We just, it just doesn't. It's not talked about as much. And so I think that's yeah. a little bit more helpful in early recovery because it grounds you in the reality that you've been experiencing, you know? Well, it's helpful for me even now, like to go and hear people talk about that stuff because it just reminds me like, that's why we're here. Yeah. I mean, totally. the Dharma and like whatever is like, it's there too. Like that's what the program mm-hmm. kind of is, but mm-hmm. that's not what it is. There's other spaces for that. This program's really about like recovery. So yes. that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But I think So you're I like, wanted, what the fuck's like <laughs> I think I wanted to be friends. Oh, and then Ben Ben came, our friend Ben came and spoke in one of the first meetings. He qual- qualified, I guess. And I was like, I've never heard a straight white cis dude speak that way so sensitively like with such like oh yeah ben's amazing dimension yeah. and emotion and, and just high eq you know and i was like well okay that's interesting you know and i was like i just i liked being around the people there i liked being in their company i liked being in that collective of people and so i did the thing where you start going out for vegan tacos after and stuff you know yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and trying to get. I think actually, like the first time I actually, because I I'd seen you like in meetings before, but I feel like the first time I actually like hung out with you yeah. was when we we went to that food court. You know, in Koreatown, oh, we used to go to that. Like, I have a different memory of when I first met you, but yeah. Oh, really? Or really talk to you? I remember seeing. Yeah, you yeah, no, meetings. that's like I didn't actually like talk to you that much that night, but it was the first time that you had actually like gone out with people because we used to like go out okay. afterwards. So then I was like, oh shit, like Lacey's like hanging out, and I think you were like one of the only like females. <laughs> it was like in the a crew, bunch of, like high EQ. White males. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, no, I remember going out to dinner, you know, because, okay, so our Saturday night meeting in New York City has a very kind of traditional fellowship after where everyone goes out to eat. And our meeting used to be right next to Koreatown, so we'd always go to Koreatown. And usually like six, seven, ten people would come. And then there was one night when no one really felt like coming, and then it was just you, me, and Jay. And it was oh, the yeah. three of us. I remember that night. Yeah. So that's what I remember. That's how, I feel like that was like the beginning of our friendship because. That's true. Yeah. Je- we all talked about dating because like, and also that's what we'd always talk about because we had no, I had no one to talk to about that. Like the fucked upness of dating sober and like there, you cannot relate to that. I, I, I feel like, you know, people who drink cannot, they're like, yes, dating sucks and I'm like have you tried so yeah. <laughs> yeah no totally that's it I have the perfect memory of these conversations and I think it was really fun and helpful and the kind of the precursor for this podcast because <laughs> it was we would be like well you're a girl what do you think about this and I'd be like well you're a dude what do you think about this and so we would able yeah. to be able to compare things and and get each other's feedback on stuff and like the fucked up pe- things people do or say or whatever yeah this is the best Ew, we should have Jay on the podcast sometime yes. and have, like do that kind of dating thing again <laughs> totally, totally totally so I, I think that that yeah so I think that was kind of the beginning of that so this is like this is kind of like first year going into like second, second year. year it's kind of like when we started like hanging out and then like were you dating people you never I, dated anyone in recovery dharma no at least that i don't know of. no and i know you, you, i'm pretty up on like the hot gossip so i would because known. of me <laughs> yeah yeah i know we're both pretty bad on that even though like why speech no, is we're like great we don't gossip we, about anything so, I mean, it's something we're working on. Yes, I'm not perfect. It's I mean, my... I like hot gosh. Like what? I mean. I have to tell you that COVID has been great for my intention for 2020 to be better about gossip because not being in the office and not going to meetings has been. Yeah, I know. Totally. It's like the gossip is drying up. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, you're, you weren't dating anyone. No, I was doing, I definitely used dating as a distraction from my discomfort of not being able to drink. So I was going on literally like maybe five or six first dates a fucking week in the beginning. Just abusive to myself, the amount of dating I did. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were all kind of doing that. I mean, that's why our conversations are so good. Because there was so much material. We had so much material. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I dated a guy for a little while in the beginning. And I think like for three or four months. And he 
was comfortable with my sobriety. And, and this is interesting how this works. Like he was comfortable with my sobriety because he's he was Muslim and thought it was like fucking uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a sobriety dating hack. It's totally is to date a Muslim. Muslim or Mormon or and, and this is making grand sweeping just you know. You know, yeah. But the person that I dated who was Muslim thought it was amazing that I was sober. And he was like, one yeah. day I will be sober too. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but at least like, you know, I know you're like, I mean, we were being like facetious about it. Um, but there is something about like, you know, dating someone who has like the, in their culture, they at least like have an understanding right. of like substances in this way. That's like it's akin to some way that you're thinking about so it. You know true. what I mean? It's so true. It is helpful. It is helpful and have a respect for it and admire it. You know, and aren't yeah. scared of it and, and aren't, you know, yeah. And don't have all these preconceived notions about what that means. It's true. But I think yeah. we're missing out. We're not talking about a very important part of my first couple of years of being sober. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about it. But yeah, it's sort, I mean, it's like a little uncomfortable, but maybe like controversial. Yes. I suppose. Yes. But like, uh, yeah, what what were you going to bring up about <laughs> that i mean basically you were like smoking pot yeah. too at this at yes. the time that you were like yes. starting to get sober and go to meetings and stuff like that right? yes yeah so i don't okay uh, there's a couple ways to represent so i again i was having trouble with this identity i was trouble having trouble with you know being totally sober and what people would think of me and people would think i wasn't cool and people wouldn't think i wasn't fun or chill there's that whole concept of like the cool girl and who's like just like game and chill or whatever and being sober is like having a stick up your ass or something and mm-hmm. so i would smoke pot but i i've never had an addictive relationship to pot and i did it like on special occasions like maybe once, like once a month, maybe. So it wasn't, it was like my friends and I would get together and like make popcorn and, you know, like have a girl's night and like smoke pot and watch movies or something, you know, like wasn't something I used. Yeah. As a way to get through my life. It was, I used it as a treat and also as a way of getting me out of this identity of being sober. Yeah. It also almost sounds like it's a symptom of this this kind of thread that you keep talking about mm-hmm. about how it's not cool to be sober or you're somewhat of like a stick in the mud or lame or whatever it is you know yeah yeah so yeah. then by like doing this thing i mean some of it's for you but a lot of it is for other people to be like oh lacy's actually still cool cuz she smokes pot or whatever yeah it was other people's opinions of me yeah totally yeah. and also it was like men i haven't met you know, and their opinion of me, you know? Yeah. And I've definitely got come up that with dating, like, oh, you don't drink? Well, do you smoke pot? You know, like, it, it, it is a, a question that comes up, you know? Yeah, for sure. But a lot of, yeah, I mean, I think you talk about this a, a lot about, like, your self-esteem and, like, having lower self-esteem mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of this. I, I mean, knowing you now and the way you talk about it now, you totally don't talk about it like that. So where did that shift happen with you, like, using pot? Because I don't remember – I was actually surprised when you told me about this. Right, because I didn't talk and about I, it at meetings because I was ashamed of it. And I knew it wasn't kosher, so. Yeah, and I mean, that goes to, like, this is a broader conversation, not for this, but it's kind of like 
a lot of these recovery programs are abstinence-based programs. Right, right. And even in our program, they say that it's an abstinence-based program. I, you know, we've talked about this. It's not like that's not hammered down as much, but it's still like a part of it that it may lead to like what you're saying. People are afraid. People are afraid to talk about certain things because like they might get ostracized from the community or whatever it is. I mean, what was that like for you? Like, why didn't you want to talk about it? Yeah, I didn't, I was kind of being accepted into this community and I didn't want to be like unaccepted because I was smoking pot every once in a while. And I mean, I I would have thought it was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't smoke pot anymore because I get super anxious when I do it. But I just be like, oh shit, you smoke weed? That's I guess I'm like falling into the same thing See? of like what you're talking about. You yeah, know? and it's like I don't want to. No, but it's like I don't know. Too. That's just like my own thing of because I was such a pothead that sometimes like when somebody talks about like smoking pot, I'm like, oh wow, I missed that. I can relate with it, you know, versus someone who's just like all about the alcohol all the time, you know. And I, you know, I I was pretty ashamed of it, and I didn't talk about it, which is why you didn't know about it. Even you didn't know about it until fairly recently. And that's because I was yeah. kind of ashamed of it. And I was able to kind of open up about it more when I learned about harm reduction. Mm, yeah. And harm reduction is... So talk about that. Yeah. yeah what I does think that mean? It, it's mostly used in the context of opioid addiction. And it can be ways of supporting people so they don't kill themselves by buying drugs off the street that have fentanyl in them and supporting, you know, being kind of more realistic about people's drug habits and use and, or, you know, going from maybe an opioid to alcohol or. The nice thing about these programs is that, I mean, it's definitely hard to get off. There's a chemical dependence that's on it, you know? So it's almost not, it's sometimes not possible to just fully abstain from something. Right, right. So at least you're doing it in the safe, controlled manner. Right, that's harm. And we want to get an expert on tech who knows what they're talking about to talk about harm reduction further. We totally do, yeah. Yeah. I obviously don't know what I'm talking about, but. (laughs) We do a little bit, a little bit. Enough, just enough. So anyway. I, I kind of I, learned about the concept of harm reduction and then was able to understand my pot use as a form of harm reduction, that I, alcohol was the thing that would kill me, you know, in my yeah. use. And so by smoking pot, that was a form of harm reduction. I was, I was, I couldn't, you know, I, it was hard for me to go completely sober. So I stepped down a level or I stepped down a big level, you know, and what ended up happening with that is that I started, I dated somebody who was addicted to pot and I, and I saw his experience with pot, which was he had to use it all the fucking time. Like, you know, wake and bake obviously, but all the time, constantly high, like never in the same plane of reality as me. And I just, I was like, wow, that is the, that's the same thing as I experienced. That is, and I could just feel his suffering and it was so hard for me to be around just, and it just, and he fucking lives with me for like a month and it just, it was too much and I couldn't be around it anymore. And that was it for me. And I also was becoming more involved when recovery Dharma and I wanted to take that more seriously and step up and, you know, be full, more fully committed to it. So, Yeah. 
So this is like timeline wise, you're getting into like your third year. So I stopped smoking pot in my like first to second year. So third year, you're like off I'm off of this. Yeah. And I think I, oh. you know, for my third year, I also, I, I noticed that I was dating these guys who are like an active addiction and stuff. Not that he's not a good person, but just not a great person for me to be dating. And, you know, I was making all these choices. And a lot of that, if you can, if you've been listening, has been all like geared towards what men think, you know, and like. Yeah. Yeah. So I stopped dating for a while because I saw these choices I was making and, you know. And I devoted that extra time with really getting into recovery dharma and reading mm. the books and stepping up for service and just really being a big part of the community. And I think that that just was like a adrenal- shot of adrenaline in the ass of my recovery. It just fucking... Well, I think you're kind of downplaying stepping up for service. You became like the chair person, chairwoman you said chairperson, uh, I think. What are you supposed to say? Just chair. <laughs> the chair. That's right. <laughs> you just take a, like, oh, yeah, that's a safer thing to say. <laughs> it's just so funny to say chairwoman. Like, I feel like I was wearing, like, pumps from the 80s or something when you say that. You were very, like, professional about it. When was you I? Were... I feel like you ran a pretty tight ship when we were in meetings. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I mean, as an outside observer, I mean, I think all the chairs that we've had have done wonderful jobs. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you did a a great job when you were chairing. Thank you. Um, And it was really uh, inspiring to see me to for me to see you in that position because I kind of saw this whole different side of you that like I knew as a friend, you know, talking about all these things. But yeah, we also used to talk about like some of like the self esteem issues and things like that. Uh And so for you to like get into this position, I mean, that must have done a lot, right? For your confidence. It did. It did. And just to clarify, so we have like a governing body for New York City and we elect people for different positions. So the chair kind of organizes, is in charge of organizing that governing body and running meetings and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it did. I think it was... My mentor, a.k.a. sponsor for people who are, are, are used to 12-step, kind of pushed me into it. I said no several times, and then he just signed me up for it. <laughs> mm. He, like, ignored me, basically, which was the best he knew that, you know. Good. He's a really good mentor. He is. He is. <laughs> I never said yes until, <laughs> yeah, so until the voting was happening. So. It was a great place for me to be able to learn how to speak confidently. And I think what, because I knew it was a safe space. So there was people around me that knew me from recovery and I felt safe with them. And also I felt like in those meetings, I was very honest about being like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Is this the way do I do this? Is this how this works? Tell me what's going on. Give me your opinion. You know, like I was very transparent and that has served me. I think that's like a lesson I've learned is like, I wasn't actually faking it. I was very transparent about I didn't know what was going on, you know? No, it's definitely like your leadership style. You're a very collaborative leader, which is really nice. I, I like that kind of leader. Wow, thanks. So, yeah, no, that, that, that was a shot in the arm, that whole experience. And, you know, and I think 
I had other people who were really supporting me in that role and like Ben, Ben was like a consigliere in a way. (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, you know, it was a good experience. So I recommend service to anybody. I don't know how y'all do it. I mean, I it's serve in my stressful. own way, but uh, yes, I don't you know do. if I could ever Nick do is treasure. what you and Ben. I am, but treasure doesn't do that much. <laughs> not, not like the chair person. Um, that's a lot. So it the stuff be. that you and the stuff that Ben do, and all all the people, all the people who serve are doing an amazing job. It's just to me, it's somewhat mind-boggling that we all got together and we're doing this thing. <laughs> You know, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's, it's very, it's something I'm really proud of. I tell people that, uh, I'm part of this group. I'm the treasurer and we're doing this thing and we built it up ourselves mm-hmm. and like we incorporate as a nonprofit and we did all this stuff just mm-hmm. on our own. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It feels um, good. It feels good to get shit done. Like that feels really good. And it's, oh yeah. So good. It's hard for me sometimes, like, especially right now. I'm trying to do, I, I need to remember to do this, but just like to keep a journal of like things I've accomplished that day. Cause sometimes it just yeah. feels like a big void, you know, and we're doing things all the time, but it doesn't feel like we're actually doing anyway, doing things feels really good. What else besides like the confidence, you know, I think you mentioned this too, like you started getting into the books and the reading and the spiritual mm-hmm. journey, like not even with Buddhism, you kind of look at a lot of sides of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, so how has that, how's that changed for you? I think I've embraced it more. I think I, in the beginning, so in the beginning, I, I didn't know what Buddhism was. I didn't know what meditation was. And then I was like, oh, I started using meditation as a tool mm. and as an exercise. And I think that was the other thing, you know, when that time period where I stopped dating and I really focused, meditation was a fucking game changer. I think it just mm. opened up my mind's it's all the stuff that we talk like you start seeing how your mind what you're saying to yourself and that's hugely important and just kind of being able to sit with your feelings that's another you know tool of mindfulness that comes with meditation and sit with cravings and my cravings became different. They became dating apps and food and ice cream and shopping. And so that, that was like a huge revolution. And so once I, you know, I think that, and then just, I, I always thought these self-help books were fairly silly and I was kind of embarrassed about them, you know, even though I was secretly interested in them. And I just embrace the fuck out of it, you know, because also everyone in our community is reading them and talking about them and loving them up and recommending them. And so I just went fully for, I don't even know, you know, I don't know, it was Tara Barak self-help. I mean, all of my guests is self-help. Technically. Yeah. But just reading all these books, being inspired about talking about those feelings and not feeling silly about them. And and one of the things like, I mean, even on the, I mean, this is one of the things that like I was very influenced by you is like, you really look at like the scientific side of mindfulness yeah, and especially like the book, the craving mind, uh, you recommended that book to me. (laughs) And a lot of that stuff has really changed how I view a lot of these things too, from like the science part of it and the neuroscience behind meditation and how these actually things work and addiction. Yeah. Brain. And I think that was really comforting yeah. to me in early addiction as well, or early recovery. I mean, 
is learning how the brain works with addiction because it made it not personal, you know, because even though this is seems so crazy to me now, I was very wrapped up in like, I'm at fault. I'm fucked up. This is my problem. There was so much shame that felt like a million pounds. And so learning about how the brain works was like a crack into that shame because it let some light in because it just, it, sh- it shows you basically that it's, it's, it's not a moral failing, which I, you know, we all know that addiction is not a moral failing, but it fucking feels like one when it's happening, you know? And mm-hmm. it, it made it less personal. It made it more factual and based, based in something solid as opposed in something I could like hold on to as opposed to something that was so huge and amorphous like shame and personal failing you know yeah and even like this the disease model of right, it right right and how like i mean that is a helpful model right but it's maybe not the whole story right and maybe that's not helpful for everybody so like yeah totally like this stuff is so fascinating to me i like really like reading about addiction science now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I got from you because mm. I was much more on the very like spiritual side of things mm-hmm. and reading more about like the ancient sort of texts and things right. like that. So combining the ancient texts with like, you know, the new science is it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I went from practical to spiritual and you went from spiritual. To I, yeah, I know. We both I, like influence each other that way. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's, spirituality has been hard for me just because of the, my upbringing and Catholicism and, and all that went with it. It's, it's hard for me because I, I guess kind of not walking away from Catholicism felt like I was taking care of myself. It was supporting me to not, so, Mm. you know, it's still like hard for me to fully embrace a spirituality, but I'm doing it in ways, but it does, it, the ways that I'm doing it now does feel supportive. So, so final question for you, Lacey. <laughs> yes, Nick. Uh, I will just congratulate you again. It's quite an accomplishment. So uh, I know you were kind of downplaying it at first, like comparing yourself to people who have more time than you, but you're actually in that situation for me. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I haven't really gotten, I've been in recovery for a while, but I haven't had a continuous stretch of like sobriety without having a, a slip or a relapse, you know? I've also had so, slips. I don't know if we want to get into that. Well, yeah. I mean, so I guess, you know, I, I, and maybe this is, this is my question really for you is why is it important for us to have a sobriety right. date? Because like sometimes for me, like I'd have a slip and I'd be like, oh, you know what? This wasn't like a full blown going out and getting black up yeah. blackout, but I still, feel some shame over this thing and I'm going to have to reset the clock. And then right. for a long time I was like, well, fuck that. Fuck the clock. Like, why does that even matter? You know, like I can see myself changing mm-hmm. and why does this time, but I've come to like, there's a nuanced understanding that I have around that, but I would be curious your opinion. Why is it important yeah. to have a sobriety date? Yeah. Okay. And I guess we should have talked about this earlier too, but which is my no, experience I mean, with, no, with a couple of slips. Cause I think that that's part of this conversation, right? So there was a couple of times where I had a drink or maybe two drinks, two glasses of wine or something out of, in a bad date. That's the fucking, you know, that's, that's the where they get you. That's the thread to this whole story. <laughs> and I, uh, 
I've defended and we I've defended my sobriety date because that is when I felt like I entered recovery and we're making choices that supported my recovery. Mm. And I did not make a conscious effort to exit recovery when I had a beer once uh, again with a dude uh, <laughs> and or had a two glasses of wine on a date. I didn't. I remember when that happened, when I had that bad date, it was about a month after my, it was like in July of 2016, I came home to my roommate and I said, I had some wine, but I'm going to start again tomorrow. Like, this is not it. You know, like, this is not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, having that experience informed my recovery. It was part of my recovery because I learned that I have to stay on antabuse for that at least then I did. And mm-hmm. I need to leave bad dates. I need to get out when I'm bored or uncomfortable or awkward or whatever, like it, or learn how to sit in discomfort. You know, I, I, it was, it informed my recovery. And so it was part of my recovery. And that's, that's how I, that's how I think of it. And I, I think in recovery dates, I know with our program, we don't really, we're not as, they're not as important to us in recovery dharma and that's because we're inherently buddhist and you know the only moment that exists is the one that's happening right now and so i, I think it's like to your point too it's like the path right like uh-huh. yeah i didn't and like I didn't, recovery I didn't is leave like, the path yeah exactly yeah right so i think reco- recovery uh, that date is important for exactly what we're doing right now which is reflection i think mm-hmm. it's easy to feel in a day-to-day basis that you're the same, that nothing changes. And that's hard. That's a hard way to feel. And I think it's good for reflection. I think it's good to kind of look at what you've done, what's worked for you, what doesn't work for you, and kind of recognize the person you used to be and recognize the change that you've gone through, you know, So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. That's my answer. That's great. I love it. (laughs) Uh, I guess we can end it right there. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us for another week. Please check us out on our website at sober.company. You can put that right into our browser and find us sober.company. Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter on there too. Our handle is at SoberCo Podcast. Please subscribe and rate and share with your friends and you can leave us comments too. Also, you can DM us with episode suggestions or just to say hey or say you're struggling or whatever. Uh, you know, support. Saying hey, friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And uh, our music is by the amazing John Tessier, courtesy of Said So Sounds. And that is it. Everybody keep up the good work. Uh, Use your voices. Protest. Stay safe. We love you. Good night. Okay. Oh, just in time. I know, it's amazing.